Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, We are continuing our series this morning on the Beatitudes. We've come to the sixth of eight Beatitudes, and uh, that is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they, and only they, shall see God. Hands up if you want to see God. Well, according to what Jesus is saying here, it's the pure in heart who will see God. And of course, we know that one day when Jesus returns, that all those who know him now by faith will see him then face to face. And what an amazing, magnificent day uh, that is going to be. But as with the other Beatitudes that we've been looking at, this is not just referring to some future day, but also to our experience here and now. That what we are going to see fully then, we can see in part now. And what this uh, Beatitude here is suggesting is that it will increase. We will increasingly see God as we become pure in heart, because the seeing referred to here is continuous, okay? So what does it mean then to be pure in heart? Uh, in what ways might we see God? That's the subject of this message. And I've actually asked Brittany Drew to come and share with us this morning on this, but before she comes up, hold your applause. Before she comes up, um, let me just try and shed some light on what it means to be pure in heart, because some here might think it's just talking about an an inward kind of purity. In Psalm uh, 24, verse 3, David asks this. He says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? Who, Who can stand in the presence of a holy God? Well, he says, It's he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Now, of course, that raises the question, doesn't it? Who has clean enough hands, right? Whose heart is pure enough that we can stand in the presence of a holy God with any degree of confidence? Um, And, of course, the answer is no one, right? None of us can. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has made a way for us through the cross, And that's what it says in Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says, since we have confidence, we've been hearing this this morning, right, through our worship, that since we have confidence to enter that most holy place by the blood of Jesus, as we've been singing about, let us draw near to God, he says, with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. It's Jesus who has cleansed our hearts, right? It's because of Jesus that we can draw near to God. It's because of Jesus that we can see God. But both Psalm 24 and Hebrews 10 are not just speaking about a cleansed heart, but a sincere heart, a sincere heart, to be Pure means to be unmixed, 
uncontaminated, genuine, sincere. All right? It's those who come before God with sincere hearts who will increasingly see him. So this purity of heart is not just an inward thing. It affects our relationships. It affects how we relate to God and how we relate to one another. Right? And that's consistent with what we've been seeing in these other Beatitudes, especially the ones around this one. Uh, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, which is uh, going to be next time. All right? Let me just quote John Stott then to conclude um, what I'm going to say here. In his definition of someone who is pure in heart, he says this. He says, that is, in his relations with both God and man, he is free from falsehood. And so the pure in heart are the utterly sincere. Their whole life, public and private, is transparent before God and men. Their very heart, including their thoughts and motives, is pure, unmixed with anything devious, ulterior or base. Hypocrisy and deceit are abhorrent to them. They are without guile. Okay? So having given a bit of an interpretation of that beatitude, let me now hand over to Brittany, who's going to continue to talk about this and and look at what it might mean in practice. Let's give Brittany plus one a very warm welcome. Good morning. Yes, as Ian said, plus one. I'm about eight months pregnant, so I'm really hoping that I just don't run out of breath during this, so (laughs) pray for me. Uh, Since this is a message about transparency, in full transparency, I'll tell you I feel pretty unqualified to be speaking to you this morning. But I pray that this offering will encourage you in your walk and point us all back to Jesus. As Ian noted, Psalm 24 tells us the one who is pure of heart is one who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. And in the NIV, it actually says, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Jesus is telling us in this beatitude to seek God with a singular focus, with our whole hearts. Theologian R. Kent Hughes tells us the word heart means more than just the mind. It also includes the emotions and the will. It's the totality of our ability to think, feel, and decide. So pure in heart means that not only our minds, but our feelings and actions are to be concentrated singly on God. Blessed are the pure in heart echoes the greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. But if we're honest, our worship is often drawn elsewhere, our devotion distracted, our worship and relationship with God fractured. However, a perfect union with him was God's design. At creation, Adam and Eve lived in perfect, honest relationship with God. Genesis actually says God walked in the garden with them, and they were literally naked before him. There was nothing to hide. God was still God. Man was still limited. But the barriers between them in relationship were not there. At the fall, sin entered in. And relationships became forever broken in this earthly life. 
our relationship with God was severed and our relationships with each other made difficult. Now our view of God is often tainted by these broken earthly relationships. We see God as a vengeful, disapproving father instead of the good and loving father that he is. We idolize our relationships with others, looking for our worth or approval in in people. And to find that approval, we put on a mask. We hide our imperfections. We build identities for ourselves based on how we want to be perceived. We can play the part of the Christian, but our heart motives are not pure. If you weren't here on Mother's Day, I shared about a period of time as a younger mom when I was very lost. I was too blind to see it then, but I believed my worth was found in the approval of others and meeting high expectations I had for myself. I was lifting up my soul to what is false, to the idols of my heart. I built an identity I thought would be accepted, and I would shift that identity based on who I was talking to to mirror their strengths and their priorities. I was like a chameleon with people. And when I failed the high expectations I had for myself, I crumbled. If you were to see my life then, you would have seen someone who was eager to serve her family and the church, to say yes to helping others. But the state of my heart was like, a, was like the Pharisees, a whitewashed tomb. My motives were for myself to be seen as a righteous person, for my own glory, for acceptance and approval. And perhaps you can relate. Maybe it's a need to be seen as successful in your career. Maybe it's a need to be well-liked and avoid confrontation. Maybe it's the feeling of responsibility that you need to be the strong one for someone else. Maybe it's the temptation to portray a picture-perfect life when really things are messy. It's exhausting to try and do it all on our own, right? And to look for satisfaction in the ups and downs of human approval. It's really impossible. We cannot attain our righteousness on our own and satisfy God's high bar for holiness by our own effort. But that's the hope of the gospel. God does not ask us to. His mercy reaches down to us so that we don't stay in that place of striving and struggle a place where every failure drowns us in shame, a place where we feel our identity is not enough, a place where our limits, our lack, is covered up, hidden from sight. Because of the fall, we're all tempted to believe the serpent's lie, that God is not really good, that he doesn't have our best in mind, that we're not loved just as we are. But by his great grace, God sent us his son to live a perfect life in our place, to die the sinner's death we deserve, to be buried and raised to life so that we may have newness of life on earth and eternal life with God the Father. Christ came, and during his time on earth, he showed us what it looks like to be pure of heart. His motives could not have been more clear. He sought the will of his Father with a singular focus, to be obedient and give God the glory. But because he was both fully God and fully human, he didn't do this without human struggle. He, too, was tempted like Adam and as we are. But unlike Adam, Jesus was not deceived. He stood firm because his heart motive was always to glorify the Father, not himself. And in Gethsemane, before Jesus' arrest, when he knew what lie ahead of him, the cross, we see a vulnerable, honest Jesus when he tells the disciples that his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. He could have chosen to ignore God's will and make his own way, and yet he prays, Father, not as I will, 
but as you will. Jesus lived a perfect life with a pure heart before God. But he's not just our example. He is our redeemer. Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise to us to redeem the broken relationship we have with him because of the fall. Many years before Jesus' birth, God gave the promise of Jesus through the prophet Ezekiel. And it's in Ezekiel 36, 26, where he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Without Christ, without the cross, we could not have changed our hearts of stone. But in his mercy, God made a way. And through faith in Jesus, we now have new hearts, purified hearts. God sees us as pure without sin. We have been made righteous, as it says in Colossians 1.22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. We have been made clean, free from blemish. Through Jesus' work on the cross, justice has been done, and we enjoy the benefits. God no longer accuses us of sin because it has been paid for. So I'll ask you now, have you received a new heart? If you don't know Jesus today, he is inviting you to make you completely clean, purified, and free of the sin that binds. He's inviting you to lay down your broken heart and receive a new heart through him. Just like Eli shared, God is just beckoning, just saying, come, just take one step. Only then will you be reconciled to God and your relationship with him restored. If you feel that call this morning, please don't leave without coming forward for prayer at the end. Um, I would love to pray with you or someone from our prayer team would be happy to. So it's always an encouraging reminder to those of us who have already accepted this new heart that we are holy in his sight. But God is not finished with us yet. He's not finished because he has so much more for us. So we now have pure hearts because of Jesus. But this beatitude also promises that we will see God. As Ian mentioned, in part, Jesus was talking about a glorious day when we will be called heavenward. And we will see our creator face to face. And we can long for that day to be perfectly reunited with God. This verse is not just talking about seeing God in glory. We are able now, through Jesus and through the spirit working in us, um, excuse me, to see God in this life. And to see God, we must know God. The wonder of the gospel is that God not only purified us from our sins, He not only gave us eternal life, but we have God's presence in us here in this life. The gift of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit is that God has now given us hearts to know him. In Jeremiah 24, 7, God promised, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. God gave us the keys because he so longs for relationship with us. He's so ready to reach out to us in our broken state, wherever we are, to draw us back to him. When I was most full of pride, depending on my own strength, ignorant of my sin, God broke in. He allowed my desperation to lift my eyes back to the one who comforts, who helps, 
who heals. The one who says, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He is the father of the prodigal son, running at first sight of of his children to embrace us and celebrate our return. He is a merciful God, so quick to forgive us and pour out his grace upon us. And he desires relationship with us, not because he's a needy God. He lacks nothing. He desires relationship with us for our good, because a life without him pales in comparison. He wants to bless us and show us his love, for he is our sovereign God, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-good. And this is affirmed in James when he says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. When we draw near to God, he will draw near to us, and we can experience true intimacy with him. I recently heard intimacy with God defined as um, knowing him and being known by him. Because as we seek to know God, to know his character and who he is, our tainted perceptions are made clear. We see him for who he really is, a God who loves us no matter what, no matter what. So our masks aren't necessary anymore. We see that he's a gracious God, a God who made a way for us so that we don't need to strive for his approval. It is one for us in Jesus. We cannot know God fully because he's beyond our comprehension here on earth, but we can pursue him with whole hearts, and he will be good to reveal himself to us more and more. The God of the Bible is holy and just, faithful, loving, gracious, merciful, always with us, yet outside of time, infinite, beyond our understanding, self-sufficient, sovereign, kind, and good. God has more than 20 different names in the Bible and countless characteristics. If God made each person in his image, each of us reflects different facets of God. There's no end to what we can seek to know about him. And as we know him more, we see him more. And as we see him more, we become more like him. For we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, as it says in Second Corinthians. It's with that unveiled face, pure of heart before him, that we behold his glory. And with open hearts, he transforms us to be more like him. Jen Wilkin wrote a book um, called None Like Him, which is a great book if you want to know God more. Um, because she details 10 ways God is different from us and why that's a good thing. Um, In her book, she says, Knowing who God is matters to us. It changes not only the way we think about him, but the way we think about ourselves. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of self always go hand in hand. As we learn God's character in in the word, we learn who we are as well. The Bible shows us that God... And we are therefore fully known by him. One of the more popular verses to show this is in Psalm 139, which says, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. And in John 10:14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. When I was blind to my striving, God opened my eyes. And I actually didn't, I felt like I didn't know who I was for a little while. 
I had been trying so hard to be accepted by others and chase idols that I lost myself. Have you ever felt like that? Lost, unsure of who you are and why you're doing what you're doing. As he pursued me, God reminded me who he was and who I was through his word. He reminded me of my true Verse, he led me to Isaiah 43, 1, which says, But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. The fact that God calls me his, that he created me and chose me, satisfies every longing in my heart. Every idol of my heart for the approval of man is laid waste before the God of the universe, the most Lord of all, the creator and sustainer of all things, calling me his. And when we dig into the word deeper, we find countless verses of how God views us, precious and honored, his beloved children, his very delight. If God is who he says he is, and we are fully known by him, his view of us is the only one that truly matters. God wants us to know him and to be known by him so that with sincere, open hearts toward him, we can discern his voice. When he drew me back to him, I began to hear his voice much clearer than I had ever before. He was always speaking to me, but my life was too loud and my eyes so focused inward that I couldn't hear him. But when he lifted my eyes and opened my heart to hear him, I began to hear him all around me. God speaks predominantly through the word, but there are other languages that he uses by the spirit to speak into our lives. He has a rich dialect. Mark Batterson in his book, Whisper, talks about the different ways that God speaks to us. We know that God speaks through the Bible, that it's true, living, active, God-breathed. Colossians 3.16 tells us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And studying the word is a worthy pursuit, a practice that reorients our hearts toward God. But Mark argues that God also speaks through open and closed doors, dreams, desires, promptings, people, and pain. And many of you can probably share amazing stories of hearing God speak through those languages. Mark calls them God's love languages. And of course, there's the undeniable presence of God in creation. I hear God often through creation, and some things, like a breathtaking sunset, have become a reminder to me of his love for me. I shared a story um, during one of the Sunday meetings about a year ago about God speaking to me through a bird. And I'll give you a little background on that story. My father-in-law had asked me to help edit a daily devotional he had written for his sons and, and our families. And in the devotional, he shared that God often speaks to him through birds. When he sees two birds, he's reminded to pray for his marriage. When he sees three birds, he's reminded to pray for his three sons. I loved that God gave him a special love language like that. And I prayed that God would speak to me too. So one day I was going out for a run, and there was a bird stuck in the garage. And it was uh, sort of frantically flapping against one of the side windows to get out. So I ran over to the window, and I tried to get it open, but it was stuck. It wouldn't budge. So I ran back inside, and I told my husband, Nick, there's a bird stuck in the garage, and I can't get the window open. 
And he sort of looked at me and said, why don't you open the garage door? (laughs) Um, I laughed, like you are, and felt pretty silly. But God was actually speaking to me very poignantly in that moment. See, it happened in the midst of him drawing me back to him. And he was telling me, here I am. I see you. You're the bird. You're trying to do things the wrong way. Stop trying to change your circumstances and surrender to my way, for I have wide open spaces for you. I love the different ways God speaks to his children. And I love that we are in a church that encourages sharing how God speaks to us. Just this morning, it was amazing to see how God spoke in the 9 a.m. and the 11 a.m. and was whispering the same message to us. And God has a special language for you, too. If you're in a season where you're struggling to hear him or feel feel he's far away, I'd start with the word and then pray a bold prayer for God to speak to you in new ways, to sharpen your listening and remove any barriers that may be clouding your hearing. Mark Batterson's book, Whisper, is actually a really helpful resource. It helped me to see how God was already speaking to me. Here's what Mark has to say. He says, God wants us to hear what he's saying. And we must heed his voice. But much more than that, he wants us to hear his heart. So he whispers softer and softer so that we have to get closer and closer. And when we finally get close enough, he envelops us in his arms and tells us he loves us. Experiencing intimacy with God has been for me both humbling and joy-filling. It has been both corrective and encouraging. It has been eye-opening and awe-inspiring. It has lifted my eyes to my creator and away from myself. There's nothing else in my life that has shown me who who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing more than pursuing Jesus. And I know he's only just begun to speak to me. As I've learned from hearing stories from mentors like Ray Forzy and Sue Zilly, he never stops pursuing us, never stops speaking to us, never stops loving us. Knowing that God loves and accepts us allows us to let down the mask, to be our true selves, to be vulnerable and honest with those around us. We need neither cower in shame nor puff up with pride. We don't need to fear rejection because he has promised never to leave us or forsake us. The kingdom of heaven breaks in when we allow our true selves to be seen and we seek intimacy with one another. And one day, we will see God, and on that day, all brokenness in our relationship will be healed. All our misconceptions made right. Our worship and devotion focus solely and purely on the only one who is worthy of it. As John wrote in 1 John 3.2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Throughout our walk with Jesus, we may lose sight of him. We may give in to the lies of the enemy. We may get caught up chasing those idols. But our loving Father never tires, never gives up on us. He'll pursue us, draw us back by his loving kindness, remind us who he is and who we are in him. Maybe he's speaking to you today, drawing you back to him. There was a word in the first service, um, about seeing Jesus in an open door, Jesus inviting this person, and then 
there was light and a meadow and just beauty beyond Jesus. And suddenly, there were, were turned 360 degrees so that this person was in the meadow. They were in the light. And it was just a beautiful picture. That's what God is inviting you into, into the light where he is. And he's, it's a wide open invitation to you. Let us all respond now. And um, there's a simple prayer in Psalm 51, which says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me.